Hi, I'm Adam Henson, and I've teamed up with Agria Pet Insurance to discuss everything you'll need to know about your beloved pets. Are you all ears? Ever heard someone say, our pet is like a member of the family, and have it completely resonate with you? Well, that's because they are. Our four-legged friends are not just there to take on walks whenever we get off the sofa or have a cuddle when we're feeling a little bit blue. They're a key player in every household. It goes without saying that the human-animal connection brings an immense amount of unconditional joy to our lives. But how exactly does it work? For our fourth episode, we're joined by Jade Statt, co-founder and clinical director of StreetVet. Now, this brilliant initiative came about in 2016 when Jade and her friend, both qualified vets, began street vetting for homeless people and their pets on the streets of London with just a stethoscope and their backpacks to work from. Now, Street Vet is a charity which delivers free care to those who need it all around the UK with over 400 volunteers to continue all the incredible work the charity has done over the last six years. We'll be asking Jade about all things human-animal bonding and how important it is for both us and our pets' happiness. So let's get into it. Jade, thank you very much for joining us today. So as I mentioned, you're the proud co-founder of Street Vet, and I'm sure our listeners are really keen to hear more about the initial motivation or light bulb moment to, to start this. So tell us how it all came about. It all came about, I like to think of it as a bit of a beautiful accident, if I am completely honest. I had no intention of starting a charity. What I wanted to do at the time was to just give back a bit of my own time. But it was in the back of my mind I wanted to volunteer as a vet in the UK, um, which actually is more difficult than I thought it would be. So you can hop on a plane quite easily and go abroad and, and volunteer that way. But actually volunteer time as a vet in the UK is is not as straightforward. So it was always in the back of my mind that's what I wanted to do. Um hadn't quite thought about the how um and, and what I was going to do. And then I was on a night out with a lot of my friends in London and I had a chance encounter with a homeless gentleman called Dave and his staffy called brick and yeah as I sat on the pavement sort of chatting dog um as you do with Dave um and with Dave with brick and Dave I was yeah just kind of for the first time in my veterinary career actually started to think where do people experiencing homelessness access veterinary care so brick had like sore skin nothing you know uh life-changing or life-threatening but I could see just how stressed his owner was about it and really concerned as to what he was going to do um, in order to, you know, be a responsible dog owner and get him the, the vet care that he needed. And my own dog at that time had been diagnosed with cancer and I'd had him since a puppy and I was just, yeah, in that kind of pre-grieving, I've done everything I can and there's nothing more as a vet and despite phoning numerous specialists all over the world uh, that I could do. So I just kept thinking in that moment, you know, what would I do? If this was Oakley, what would I do if it was my dog? And I felt frustrated because I knew if I had what I needed in my bag, then I could have I could have helped them. So I walked away just thinking, right, this is it. This is what I want to do. And yeah, so that for me was when I first kind of thought about putting a backpack on and uh, going out in the streets of London. So that was in 2016. 
That's quite extraordinary. And as we well know, you know, a lot of homeless people do have dogs with them. And I suppose those dogs are their constant and their go-to and their loyal friends. And um, if they're in trouble, yes, where do they turn? So, so in 2019, Street Vet became a charity and that, of course, opened up more opportunities for people to, to volunteer. Tell me about how it grew and some of the work that you do now. It kind of snowballed is really the only um, sort of explanation or, you know, I was doing it myself as far as I knew in 2016. Um, my co-founder, who's another vet, Sam Joseph, um, was out doing exactly the same thing um, in North London. We didn't know each other, but yeah, the power of social media, we found out each of us were calling ourselves Street Vet. So um, we met up, luckily we got on, but decided, you know, this problem is way, way bigger than us. So we came together to to start doing it. And yeah, there was an article that went out in one of the veterinary magazines. And before we knew it, there was literally, we were inundated with people, uh, vets and nurses all over the UK who were like, you know what, I've walked past people in where I live in my town and, you know, they need help. How can we get involved? So it literally was, yeah, within a very short space of time, we realized it was it was needed. I mean, to be honest, sitting where we are right now, it's probably even more needed now than it was needed back when we started it, sadly. But yeah, so we are, yeah, as you rightly said, we became a charity registered in 2019, but we have over 400 volunteer vets and nurses um, and we actively are out and about on the streets in 17 locations across the UK. But yeah, it's the need, sadly, is is ever increasing. And I think partly, well, partly due to lots of things, people now know who we are. Um, so we do get referrals from other vet practices, members of the public who stop and have a conversation with someone and, and try and help them to, to access vet care. But also, yeah, fuel crisis, cost of living crisis, pandemic, you name it. Um, so yeah, it's um, sadly the, the need for these kind of services is is really going off the scale, unfortunately. And how do you manage to gain the funding? Um, it's a very kind of varied thing. I, I've said right from the beginning of Streetbit how unbelievably fortunate we are because what has happened is I think, well, I like to think of Streetbit as the profession Streetbit. You know, we, we created something at a time when I think the profession in general, um, a lot of people were struggling with engagement and, you know, remembering why they became a vet or a vet nurse in the first place. So when Street Vet happened, I think it was the right time for the profession. So the actual backing that we get, not just from the people that go out and volunteer, but throughout the entire profession, the pharmaceutical industries, the practices, the wider pet industries, food companies, insurance companies, you know, whatever. Everybody has really um, sort of recognised it as something they want to get involved with, which allowed us to go in the trajectory that we did. But we've had a few golden moments, I would say, we won a competition, um, a public um, competition right at the start of Streetbit and we won £100,000. And I don't think I realised at that point when you get unrestricted funding like that, how incredible it is, you know, in the charity sector. So, yeah, we we do we do apply for grants and funds. Um, we don't have a dedicated fundraiser yet at Streetbet, so a lot of it is very much reliant on you know support from the vet profession, public raising funds, and yeah, we've won a few epic competitions along the way, which one of them helped us to set up our accredited hostel scheme, which was which we won a couple of years ago. 
you know, well, congratulations. And hopefully this podcast will help um, awareness along the way. And so thinking through the work that you're doing, are there any particular cases that you've come across that are real standouts? Oh, there's too many. <laughs> there's, yeah, listen, I mean, I think when vets want to get involved with street vet, I always sort of say to them, you know, you're not going to see, I don't know, 40 dogs in a night and you're not going to be like rushing down the street with an emergency. It's not like that. We do have our emergencies, don't get me wrong. But what I would say is it's that relationship that you build with that client and that pet, because, you know, just you doing the small thing of it seems like a small thing, you know, microchipping their pet for them is massive, like the massive implications it has for that owner, because they feel in that moment they've done the responsible thing. They also know now that that's their pet. They're not going to, you know, they've got that kind of mark of um, ownership. And so, yeah, there's lots and lots and lots of small wins on the street vet front. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, the case for me, I guess that moment I realized that what we created actually worked um, was um, when a client of ours, his dog got hit by a train in London and she was spooked by fireworks and just ran off and she got hit by a train. And in that moment, you know, he knew what to do because he was with us and she had a tag on her collar that had a free phone, 24 hour emergency number. He called it and yeah, all the necessary things happened to rescue that dog. Um, she was kept in the vets for two weeks. Now that in his lifetime is just massive. Like he's never without his dog. But again, because we had a really good relationship with him, he trusted us um, and the team were in like daily contact with them and um, with updates so she's now like yeah a star of street vet social media to say it. I mean that was quite a few years ago now but yeah she she lost an eye and she lost a leg but she's built like a little tank so she is is absolutely fine but yeah at that point I was like okay if street vet didn't exist she would have died that to me was that moment I was like right we've created something that you know it all all the pieces of the puzzle all kind of fitted yeah, it's an amazing uh, story. And that relationship between street vet and the people on the streets, you know, that's got to be built by trust, hasn't it? And you're not only working with dogs, it's with cats too. Yeah, we do. I didn't think about a lot of things when I started street vet. The kind of demographic of animal was not one of them either. But yeah, I would say majority dogs, we have quite a few hundred cats. And then, yeah, the odd uh, rabbit, guinea pig, ferret, and we've got two bearded dragons that we have treated. But they are in hostels, so don't, you know, they're not in the street. <laughs> Great. Well, let's move on to some questions. So we've researched some of the most searched questions online surrounding this essential human-animal bond. And hopefully, with all of your experience, you'll be able to shed some light on these hot topics. So first up, the human-animal bond can be really precious. Can you tell us about your experiences and your relationship with your own pets? Yeah, I mean, the human-animal bond for me is, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the absolute backbone of, of street vet, really. It's the reason it exists. So it was me seeing that in Dave and his dog Brick that night um, and realising that that dog was his anchor to everything um, in a really chaotic world. So in terms of the clients that we treat, we get asked a lot, you know, why do these people have dogs? Where do the dogs come from? Um, all sorts of questions like that. And, and the, the honest answer is most of our clients had their dogs from before they were homeless. They are a link to sort of happier times in, in their lives. Um, and their dogs are exactly what 
our dogs are, you know, my dogs to me are constant, unconditional love, essentially. You know, um, one of our clients said to me, you know, my dog loves me. She doesn't care what I have, what I haven't got or what I've lost. And that that's it in an absolute nutshell. You know, for these clients, you know, everybody else might be judging them as they walk past them, but their dog isn't. And I don't think anyone can really understand that fully until you've been in that in that situation. And I think COVID for all its negatives actually kind of shone a light on animals in a way that has never been done before because people who have never been isolated ever suddenly were. And the only thing that they had in their lives potentially was that moment where they got to walk their dog or, you know, being in the house with their dog. And and I think for a lot of people, they suddenly realized what it meant to be completely isolated, but only have your pet for company. And all of a sudden they were like, oh my goodness, like that's why these people have not given up their pet. That's why they've maybe forgone a home because they want to stay with their pet because that's how much it means to them. So yeah, I, I have I have two dogs. I have a Siberian Husky. I used to have a Labrador and now I have a Husky. So that in itself is is quite a different relationship. I have a rescue Belgian Malinois cross Caucasian Shepherd and I have a rescue kitten. So yeah, they're all very, very different characters. I mean, in, in terms of my lifetime, you always get that one dog and my one dog, not that I do not love my dogs now, I absolutely adore them, but Oakley was, to me, he was, he was my uh, my co-pilot for Street Bet. So for me, that was that was his legacy. So yeah, pretty special dog. It is incredible. I've grown up with dogs all my life on the farm. And, uh, you know, you can have a tough day at work and come in and they're just by your side. And as you say, they just are a constant, aren't they? That, that love and, you know, you can sit there and stroke them and calm down and, you know, share things with them. You know, it is absolutely essential. And I can understand if you're lonely and cold and in trouble and on the streets it, you know it's even more important so it'll be really interesting to hear more about the human animal psychology this is one of the questions so our pets require a lot of physical interaction but would you say a psychological connection is just as important i always say like if anyone hasn't had a pet like i actually feel sorry for them because they're missing something that they they will never experience and for me it's something that is I've grown up with pets just like you have. So not having a pet around would have felt unnatural. But in terms of that connection, I mean, you just have to look at what pets um, are involved with now, you know, in, in terms of spanning everything. So, you know, they are mental health support dogs. They're helping the police with PTSD. I was in this competition that Streetbert were in when we were creating the hostel scheme. I came across, you know, dogs that were being used to help kids to give evidence in court you know as like support dogs in that respect they're going to schools so you know and that's not even touching on the fact that they help with people with epilepsy and diabetes and you know all these other things so you know this is not just a case of being trained to do a role like they have this inner unspoken connection with people that just transcends everything else to be honest they just know you know I find this a lot when I'm talking to some of our clients experiencing homelessness that you know one of our clients said to me I'd rather die in this pandemic than be separated from my dog because he was offered you know a room um during the pandemic but without his dog he was like no no way I'm not doing it and that's because like it is just like I use the word anchor but yeah they're absolute reason to be so yeah it's it's in my opinion, it absolutely transcends everything in terms of it's not just physical, it's, it's definitely psychological as well. I couldn't agree more. There's just so much going on in those animals that 
there's probably lots we don't know as well, isn't there? And, and, you know, these things that are coming to light that how they can sense the way we're feeling, how they can smell out, you know, people when they're having, you know, problems with diabetes or whatever it may be, you know, it's just, it's just extraordinary animals, aren't they? And, and so important for the people that have got them in homes or on the street. So another question here, in your experience, does this work differently for canine and feline or do all animals respond to the same human attention? I'm just going to throw my husky in the mix there. So, I mean, she's like a cat dog, right? So, yeah, I had a Labrador and, you know, I literally couldn't leave the room without him. He came everywhere with me. She, I'm lucky if, you know, I get half a head raised. So I think you have to, every animal has, has its own individual character and their own little foibles and little things that they do. And, you know, I'm I'm married now and I had a no call my husky before I met my husband. And, you know, he's just like, she's just aloof. Like, she's just not interested. And I was like, you know, give her time you know, she'll come. And like, now she's super affectionate to him, but you have to earn it. Like, she doesn't just give it away. Um, Whereas my Labrador, yeah, anybody and everybody, you know, that's just their nature. And they're just incredibly loving and, and open and biddable and willing and, you know, want to please. So I think that, yeah, every every animal has has, has an individual story. And then my other dog, Buddy, um, is a rescue. So he, he was actually... Um, owned by one of our street vet clients at one stage. Not, they didn't want to give him up in any capacity. They absolutely adored him, but there was just a change in their circumstance. And when I met him, he'd been run over. So he has two broken back legs and a broken pelvis and he's lived all over. So when I first met him, he was in the woods living in a tent and they moved lots of different places, caravans, boats, you know, so he's had a really unusual sort of set of circumstances in his life but when I met him he really couldn't walk so he's had a lot of hydro I thought he was going to have to lose his leg a lot of physio I was going to rehome him because I was never going to keep him at that point but he's a Belgian Malinois so his initial reaction to anything is to bark at it um, and look super aggressive and he also needs high needs hydro physio and they were like the likelihood is Jade he might not get rehomed he might be put to sleep and I was like well that ain't happening so he came home luckily my husky adores him but he is considering everything that he has been through and his limited sort of exposure probably to to kind of I guess normal socialization when he was a puppy yeah I mean, he's got his hang-ups but he he's just again just the nicest friendliest big doof that you'll ever meet so you know it's just like people you know everybody's got a backstory and dogs are no different really um or things that you know they have happened to them in their life that you might not know about and you've just got to um understand and that's before you even touched on my cat my cat's just a whole different ball game i've never owned a cat before been a vet for 20 years the closest i have to owning a cat was my husky yeah he he rules everything and he's awesome but yeah again just totally different like people think if you feed them or you know that you'll make that bond but it's it's more than that it, it's always more than that right so another question here so for those that perhaps feel they struggle to form this crucial bond what would be your advice and uh what has worked for you so i always remember like I was the one where my puppy sat on my lap when we brought her home um, in Oko. I was always sort of said, oh, that's why, that's why she likes you. And I was just like, it's not imprinting. Like, that's not how this, how this works. So people will always say, you know, if you feed the dog or you walk the dog, but it's more than that. It's about time and it's about connection. And it's about, yeah, just spending good quality time with your animal. And I think a lot of people 
you know, there can be too much. And I guess during the pandemic, people were just with their pets all the time. And then they get the opposite of that, you know, when they have to go back to work and, and then they suffer with with separation anxiety and things like that. So it's a, a fine balance, but um, it's about helping your pet to use their brain and do games with them and do agility with them and all of those kind of things as well. But yeah, I mean, I've, I guess to be honest, I've never really thought about forming a bond with my pet. It just, it happens, right? It just is something that, you know, that you do. Um, and I've never really sat down and, and thought about it. I guess maybe more if you rescue a pet and you're not with them from the beginning, it's it, that's maybe, maybe more tricky. I think with Buddy, it was different because I had literally known him for years before I rescued him because I used to take him to hydro and physio every single week. I think it's an inert thing and I and I don't think you can fake it. So it's it's really your your animal will and you can't force it. You know, they're gonna they're gonna come around to it. And that was what it was like with with my husky. She's got her own mind, same as the cat. And uh, you know, they they work out themselves. But yeah, understanding your breed, I think, is really important. You know, research your breed and and know what pet you have and the things that they they enjoy doing. And then you're going to have a better chance with connecting as well. We all need a little help to be a great pet parent. So for those times when your four-legged best friend needs some extra care, Lifetime Insurance from Argria is there for you. And for them. With up to £12,500 of vet fees cover every year, Argria's dog and cat lifetime policies have been recognised as which best buys. So whatever's around the corner, take the worry away and let Argria protect your special bond. Visit argriapet.co.uk for your quote and use the promo code EARS, E-A-R-S, for your first month free and a luxury hamper for your pet. Jade, there are definitely benefits to come from this bond of love uh, for both us and our furry friends. So what would you say are the most significant? So, yeah, these are questions that people ask me a lot, like, you know, why are people on the streets? Why have they got pets? And you just have to, like, look inward to your own, you know, and your own relationship with your own pets. So, I mean, I think all the obvious ones, so, like, friendship, companionship, you know, unconditional love. But then when you start thinking about our clients on the street, they sort of highlight some other things when I've spoken to them that I guess maybe you take for granted or you don't think about. But, you know, one of my one of my clients said to me, um, I look after him in the day and he looks after me at night. And, I, you know, I'd never really thought about it as a security thing, as a, you know, as a warm thing. Obviously, they're not the the sort of sole reasons. But yeah, I think the the other things that come to mind and that's only through the you know the time that I've managed to to spend in working in this demographic and I would say the bonds that I have experienced through street bet are some of the most like profound ones I've ever seen and that's in 20 years of practice but it's it's about giving people a reason and a role you know a sense of routine in their life but also what you don't realize until you take it away so we had a client he has this most magnificent Japanese Akita. And we had Kane. He came in with us and we had to have a procedure at a surgery. And when we gave him back at the end of the day, his owner was like, I was invisible. He was like, normally everybody stops. Everybody talks to me. And then, you know, when I didn't have Kane, nobody, everybody just walked past me. And I think that we forget that it happens all the time, right? When we walk our dogs, people are more inclined to talk to you. But if you're experiencing homelessness, your dog is actually a massive 
conduit to social interaction and can be a, a real sort of conversation starter. And the reason that sadly, but the British public will stop and talk to you is because you have a dog. But for a lot of the clients that we speak to, their dog is, they will describe them very, very openly as their family and, you know, their mental health support, their reason to live. And there's been some studies that have been done that show that people experiencing homelessness that have pets have reduced antisocial behaviour, so much less involved in criminal activity, drug activity. And that is because any of those things could lead to them going to prison. And that means forced separation from their pet, which is the last thing they want. So, you know, there are massive, massive benefits to people experiencing homelessness staying with their pets. There's barriers as well, which I did not realise, but that's a whole other conversation. You know, having a pet with you 24 hours a day can reduce your access to services and housing and, you know, hospital um, and everything else. But yeah, so if given a choice between a roof or their dog, they're going to pick their dog every time. Jade, it's been absolutely fascinating to talk to you and some really um, interesting stories. If people wanted to find out how to support you, um, where should they go? I think the best thing, I mean, we're on social media um, as StreetBet, but yeah, the best place is the website. So streetbet.org.uk and you can find details about all the things you can do. We've got Amazon wish lists for every location. We've obviously got donation platform. And if people want to volunteer, so we have vets and nurses volunteering, but we also have people who help us in a support volunteer capacity as well. So yeah, if you're interested at all, then visit the website and send us an email. Great. Thank you very, very much. No worries. A big thanks to you all for listening to the fourth episode of All Ears. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating and review, and let us know if there's anything you'd like to know. You can also follow Argria on its social channels at ArgriaPat, or visit them at www.argriapat.co.uk.